You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mast, Atlanta Braves Digital Media Content Manager, joined, as always, by my Partner and partner in crime, co-host, director of Braves Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael. Greg, exciting times in Braves country. It's September. October is oh so close. We knocking on wood. I think we can safely say the Braves are probably going to be sitting pretty and make the postseason. I think it's not official, but I think we're we're honing in on that. It's uh as we've been talking about all year, it's a great time to be a Braves fan. Great time for us to be working with the Braves. It's 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 great. And <laughs> With all the success we see at the big league level, I think it's important for part of our job and what you and I do here and, you know, taking people, our listeners, Braves fans behind the scenes or getting to know some of the people that are that help make this organization so great. It's important that you and I do that. And I think that's what we do. We've we've done today. Well, not us, but our guest today, director of amateur scouting, Ron Shaw, I mean, you know, all these rankings, these system rankings, I, I, I'm I at a point where I just kind of have to laugh because they'll have like, you know, a lot <laughs> of our talent that we assembled is now that was highly rated and highly ranked has made it to the big league level or been used in trades to to bring in guys like a Sean Murphy or a Matt Olson. But yet, so, I mean, they could rank the Braves last in terms of the farm systems and yet somehow it keeps producing so that tells mm-hmm. me that Alex and everybody in his department are doing their job. And that tells me that Ronit, especially, and his team are doing their job. And uh, so it's just great to have him on. And, uh, you know, I know how much you care about scouts. I know your story. I've heard your story. And you talk about how important a guy like Roy Clark and others were to your career. So it's just great to have have the, the guy, uh, one of the guys that's helping lead all that on, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's it's always fun to pull back the curtain a little bit and to see what these guys do. And, and like, you know, Ron, it's, he didn't really go into it, but, man, he stays busy. He's on the road. You think about all the high school games. You think about all the college games. You think about getting ready, the amount of time they put in for the draft. I've been over to those meetings, and they sit there and they evaluate because, like you said, you get statistics on guys – you probably get so much data, it's not even funny. But does that really tell you who that person is? No, we know that. I mean, they have to they have to have this whole subjective conversation about what's his character like? What's he going to do in this situation? What's he going to do in that situation? Because, you know, that's Alex is uh, is a big deal to him. You know, he wants to know, are they going to be a fit for this organization? Are they going to be a fit? If we bring him to the big leagues, you know, in, in a year and a half, two years, how's he going to fit in this clubhouse? I mean, we've established that we have a team that is made up of high quality individuals. And so they are only going to draft guys. So there's a lot of pressure on Ron and his group to be able to draft the same type of people because Alex is 
created over the last, you know, six or seven, six years, we've created a certain type of ball player that we want in Atlanta, that our fans expect the, the, the way they play behind in the game, ahead in the game, the way they act off the field, you know, uh, on the field, in the clubhouse. So that's a lot of pressure for a scout because you've got to do your homework, right? You, you draft a guy and he turns out to not be, you know, who you thought he was. That's a lot of pressure on you. So um, they've got a lot of work that they have to do. And, and I, I just enjoy hearing from a guy's boots on the ground and he's he's hard at it every year and every day uh to to accomplish you know the goals for the organization absolutely well as you said i i can't even imagine how much work he does on a daily basis and if you really just start going into it the amount of sheer data that must that is available i i just i can't even imagine you think about every high school every every school in this country this continent and they're responsible for all of it i mean it's just it's it's mind-boggling you got to have the right person there that's passionate about it and that's smart and knows how to do it and uh, obviously that's what we have so yeah how many dads are calling him oh my god yeah (laughs) Yeah. you know what's funny i didn't even think about that part of it i know i know i don't have any people call me i can't imagine that you know how many people call him you gotta come see. You gotta go come see little Johnny. Yeah. Oh yeah, this this kid's the greatest since sliced bread, man. You gotta see. He throws about a hundred and two. I mean, I know my fantasy campers that tell me that throw eighty and they end up really throwing about sixty nine. So I can't even imagine what uh, what all this stuff he's got to filter through. What do you think the hardest thrower is you've ever had at fantasy camp? I'm curious. Oh. Well, probably Chris Medlin. He was throwing about 90. Okay. Uh, one year. <laughs> okay. non No, we've had fastest you've ever had a camper throw. Yeah, probably about 78, I would I would guess. They would tell you 85, but I'd say about 78, 75 to 78. Okay. Well, I can give Which you is good for a 40-year-old, right? Sure. I mean, uh, I don't know that I've ever measured my – well, I did measure it once. At Bonnaroo, after a number of cold beverages, they had a pitch in uh, the cage there. Boy, I think I threw my arm out just getting it up to 59. So I can imagine what it is now as a 40-year-old. So, Well, thankfully, Ronda doesn't have to go out there and look at jabronis like me pitching. He's out there actually looking for the, the real talent. So That's right. Well, let's get right into it. Here he is, Director of Amateur Scouting for the Braves, Ronit Shaw. Well, hey, Ronit, uh, appreciate you joining us today on Behind the Braves. I know you've been really, really busy. Uh, we w- definitely want to um, talk to you about that, all that you've got going on. But uh, we appreciate it. We always love love to be able to find out about what's going on in the Braves organization. And, and scouting is one of those things that I think people hear about, but they don't really know exactly what's going on. And, of course, nowadays it's um, – there's a lot about analytics and, uh, but man, you were just all over the country. So can you just kind of give us a little bit of overview of kind of what's been happening with you over the last month since the draft? Yeah. So the funny part about the amateur scouting world is that our work for the draft starts the day after the previous one concludes. So for us, we're sending out scouts all over the country um, right away in terms of getting coverage for the top high school guys uh, immediately. And from there out, we focus then focus on some of the summer college leagues. You got the Cape Cod, you got Team USA, um, California Collegiate League, and a handful of different wood bat summer leagues. And we're again just going straight to work with scouting and getting as many looks as we can at these players facing good competition. 
we just finished our summer coverage with the high school guys this last week in California. They had uh, the Team USA trials out here. So now we're getting some reports into the system and uh, just playing catch up on that a little bit. Yeah, I know when we, you and I had talked, you were over at East Coast Pro. And then um, I know there's some big showcases that will be in the fall. And it just it never ends. I mean, you you guys want to know everything about these kids. And, um, we're you know, you, the organization has done such an incredible job with its young talent. And I know that starts with you and your crew. And, and I know... Alan Butts has been a friends of mine, a friend of mine for a long time. I know he covers Georgia, but you must have just an incredible staff because you guys have just drafted well, um, and we've seen the development of some of these players that have gotten to the big leagues so quickly. Um, what is what is the key ingredient for you guys as you're looking? And I know I'm not asking you to share all the secrets because I know that. Um, we, we've done such a great job, but what is the key ingredient for you when you're looking at a, a young, talented player? Yeah, I think for us, like you mentioned, Greg, it all starts with guys like Alan um, being an area scout and really having such a great pulse of not only the player between the lines, but the person outside the lines and really knowing kind of what makes that player tick. And then, so for me, and other guys in the front office that like we rely so much on our area scouts and our cross checkers. And because like you mentioned, their work never stops <laughs> and they're watching these guys play over and over and over again, but they're also watching them outside of the baseball field in terms of, you know, practice and working with their coaches, getting instruction and can really get to know again, just like these kids, their families their support system, um, whether they're going to put in the work to overcome failures that are inevitably going to come along the way um, on their path to the big leagues, hopefully. Ron, I remember back in college and I was pitching at the University of Tennessee and my my pitching coach, well, actually my manager uh, came from the big leagues. His name was Mark Connor and he he was the Yankees pitching coach and he coached Tommy John and Phil Negro and Dave Rigetti. And the next year he came to Tennessee and um, he kind of really helped fine tune not only my skills, but also my mental perspective uh, going out and pitching, you know, every week. And I remember specifically one time that I pitched, you know, and I didn't have a terrible game, but it really wasn't good. I was kind of all over the place and I was pitching in the SEC. So I pitched a game and, you know, I remember seeing some scouts around, but then the game that I didn't pitch very well, the very next game, it's like there were twice as many scouts there. And I remember talking to my coach and I'm thinking, man, I can't believe how many scouts were here. W wonder what the deal was. He goes, well, it's because you had a bad game the game before. I went, really? He goes, yeah, they wanted to see how you reacted. And I thought that was fascinating that they were more concerned with how I would respond to failure or, you know, not a good game than really, you know, me being on a roll for four games. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, definitely. You know, even the, the best pitchers are not going to get everybody out and the best hitters are going to make out six times out of ten. And when we're watching amateur players, they're so far away from the big leagues that every player that we're scouting definitely needs to get better. And for us, I think that's where, like, some of the development, not only from a player standpoint in terms of, like, you know, improving their swing or their power or if it's a pitcher, helping them throw a little bit harder or, or you know, fine-tuning their control and command, as much of it is just the mental perspective and, and making sure and even helping out the players as well, which is overcoming failure and adversity. 
Hmm. Well, Ron, I was talking um, the other day with our our uh, creative director, Insung Kim, and I mentioned that we were going to have you on, and then he started telling me a little bit about how he he had heard a little bit about your or a lot actually about your your story about how you got started actually working in baseball and is really interesting so i was just curious for our listeners how did you get started uh, working in baseball professionally yeah i think one of my favorite things about baseball is just how different everyone's path is to get inside the game also whether it's me or any of one of our scouts or guys in the office um everyone's path is just way different than another person's but i think a big part of that is there's no major if you go to college for baseball, if you will. <laughs> so there's no said blueprint. Uh, for me, I was about a year or two out of high school. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And one thing I always had a passion for, though, was baseball. And I would listen to this podcast. Uh, I think it was called Up and In. And the hosts were saying something along the lines of, you know, you could work in baseball even if you didn't play at a really high level. And for me, that really struck with me for whatever reason. And I think I was naive just enough to say to myself that day, okay, let's try it out. Let's see what happens. Um, so I went out and got a stopwatch, got a notebook, got a pen. And I just started skipping some uh, college classes and going to minor league games uh, where I live. And, you know, just uh, from there, I met some scouts that really took an interest in me for, and for no benefit to their own um, and, and just took me under their wing. I think they, they saw me coming to games all the time and I was there early and I think they were just intrigued by who I was and what I was trying to do. And a couple of these guys, like I really hit it off with. And one of them was Doug White. Uh, he was with the Astros at the time as a pitching rover. I think he ultimately became a pitching coach at the big league level with the angels. Um, but, you know, Doug mentioned to me like, Hey, if you want to work in baseball, I could try to get you a interview or a conversation with some of our guys in the office at the winter meetings. Uh, this is back in 2014, and I grew up in Southern California. And the winter meetings that year were in San Diego. So, again, just got, got some good luck on my end there. So I drove down to San Diego. Um, Pete Patilla and Mike Elias, they gave me an interview. Uh, both those individuals are GMs now for, for a couple big league teams. And they just took a shot on me. And I think from there – you know, just been put in the work, learning as much as I can to this day. And that, that's pretty much the the long story short version. <laughs> so, I mean, it literally started with you just taking the initiative of going out there on your own, not getting paid, just, just showing up and doing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. I think that I ran business with my dad at the time and I really hated it. <laughs> and I was <laughs> thinking to myself, this is not what I want to do with the rest of my life. and. Yeah, you know, those guys on the pocket, I listened to it religiously, and they said, like, hey, just, you know, if you want to work in baseball, go for it. So I was like, you know what, let me, let me try this out and see what happens, and I gave it a shot, and, you know, it's been, it's been working out pretty well so far. I love that. And there's So three things I think we share, you and I share in common from what I just heard there. Um, one, kind of a interesting path to get here for me it was posting parody songs on youtube so that's a whole nother story <laughs> itself but that was the starting yeah. point uh kind of the same principle though of just putting something out there you know just because just just trying uh b i came from baseball working in a business with my dad who i love but the business i did not 
Uh, so wanting to get away from that. And then three, if I heard correctly, skipping college classes, I definitely did a lot of that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, don't recommend that one, but uh, no. yeah, unfortunately so. Yeah, I don't either. And at least now we don't share this. You at least were skipping them to do something productive with like thinking about your future. I was sitting at home uh, in my apartment. So um, what so let's let's back up even further. I mean, what first interested you in, in baseball? Like, who were your who were your who was your team? Who were your players growing up besides Greg McMichael, of course? <laughs> yeah. So my earliest childhood memories really are just of playing baseball or watching baseball that I can remember. Uh, my family moved from India to New York when I was about four years old. And, you know, my first memory of living in the United States is of watching a Mets and Yankees game with my older brother. And I think the fact that baseball is the closest thing to cricket, uh, which is India's most popular sport, obviously, I think my brother and I just really dove into it head first. Uh, I remember he was a Mets fan and he told me I couldn't be one. <laughs> so I had to be a Yankees fan. And because of that, I grew up a, Huge Derek Jeter fan, just like anybody else uh, living in New York at the time. I think I had maybe three or four different Derek Jeter jerseys that I rotated between uh, when I went to summer camps growing up. <laughs> you bring up cricket. It's interesting. My son-in-law lives in New Zealand and uh, with my daughter, and he's always been telling me about cricket and, you know, just how great it is, you know, that and rugby. And he, he even sent me a cricket ball. Um, and so I always – I've got – uh, fiddle around with it at home, but I started watching a little bit of cricket and it is interesting. Now, one thing they think baseball slow and takes a long time. I mean, some of those cricket matches, they last forever. So uh, it's kind of fascinating, but I remember playing with the Mets and every Sunday I would drive by Shea and all the cricket guys would out there be dressed in white and they'd be playing cricket all day long on Sunday. And I thought, man, I'd be, it'd be kind of fascinating to see what it would be like to, to play in a match. I haven't done it yet, but uh, someday I'd like to like to get in there. Um, but oh, uh, I bet you could, you could spin it pretty good on the cricket uh, field also, Greg. <laughs> you, there's only one seam on it, so I don't know how much you can. Of course, you bounce it. You lose some spin on the ground, right? <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, but it, it's, it's definitely a cool sport. Um, you know, so uh, baseball has been um, a big part of my life, just like, you know, all of us here. And um, I will say that scouting to me has played an important role because the scouts, I think of Roy Clark, who scouted me and a bunch of other of my teammates who longtime scout did such a great job. Um, but there was also a guy named uh, Lance, uh, Lance, Rance Plus, I'm sorry, Rance Plus that was in Knoxville, who's a bird dog. And when I got released, I went and talked to him and he was there all the time. It's kind of like what you're talking about. Those guys, they show up early, they stay late. And, you know, he really brought me over to the Braves. And I just, I've always remembered that because it's such a, it's just a, such an unsung hero type of a job. And you guys just beat the bushes and you really give a lot of people opportunities that might not ever um, have one. And, and you take chances, you put your, your name out on the line and, and you say, no, this kid can play. The, uh, I guess a question I have for you is once these kids get drafted, do they ever bring you back in to talk about maybe they're struggling or maybe, you know, some other insight into them once they get into the minor leagues? Have you had any type of a role from that perspective? Yeah, I think maybe not me individually as of late. Um, definitely when I first started uh, and I had, you know, 
as a signing scout, you definitely have a relationship with the player. Uh, so again, using Allen as an example, Allen Butts, our area scout in Georgia, I'm sure he has a relationship with the players that he's been able to sign over the years and he's talking with them. Maybe when they're struggling, the player would reach out to him, um, maybe pick his brain a little bit. But yeah, we have such a great support system, I think, from our player development coaches, our rovers, our instructors throughout the minor league system that I think, you know, there's so many people in it with those players that are performing really well or, or struggling. And um, I think those guys do a really great job of helping out just about anybody that needs it, right? Hmm. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution. That will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. For sure. So I this is I know this is probably kind of impossible to answer because I work in the game too. And it's like sort of days are similar, but a lot of times no two days are alike. Um, but Ron, for you, what would a typical day, what is a typical work day like for you? Or if it's, if you need to expand that to a week or a month or whatever, but just, uh, I mean, your role, uh, what's, what's a typical day like for you? Yeah, I think for me, it depends on where we are at in the calendar in terms of like the draft cycle and all that. So kind of like I mentioned a little bit earlier right now, just finishing up our summer coverage. I'd be working on getting my own reports into the computer, continuing to read the scouts reports that are coming in, going through data, watching video, communicating with all of our scouts or guys in research and development. They do such a great job of giving us all the tools and um, the platforms we need to continue to get better and and adapt with the growing game. Um, So for me, I think it's just like a, a balancing act of some baseball work and then also some administrative duties, just like anybody else. Like, um, for right now, I'm looking at kind of some needs for 24, whether it's making sure we got enough supplies, equipment uh, for workouts or, you know, working on some vendor contracts on, you know, maybe some software we use or um, things like that. And, you know, just again, balancing the administrative duties that we might have uh, with the baseball and, and some of the more, you know, fun stuff, if you will, <laughs> or the meat and potatoes. That's cool. I've been uh, I've been watching a lot of people. So me I, and overseeing our, our social media channels with with the Braves, uh, there are a lot of people that are getting very excited about this year's uh, first pick in Hurston Waldrop um, with good reason. I mean, the guy's been killing it down there from what I've seen. So just what can you tell us about like this year's draft class or the 23 class in particular? And you got to be feeling pretty good about that top pick out of, out of Hurston Waldrop, too, I would think. But what what do you think about this class so far? Yeah, it's been really exciting to see Hurston and the start he's off to already up to double A. 
you know, anytime you could do that in your first draft summer, I think that's a huge, huge step and on the right track for sure there. Um, Hurston got power stuff, sits in the mid nineties. Uh, his splitter is a strikeout pitch and it's been helping him miss a lot of bats so far. Um, he's also got a wipeout slider that he can throw also. Um, so his pure stuff and, and talent is really exciting and watching him and what he's done so far is really exciting to see. And then kind of like you mentioned, yeah, we've got a bunch of other guys that we're really excited about. I think in the first draft summer, it's really early to tell um, or make too much of it, but always fun to see these guys get off to a great start and just keep following them. I think uh, Drew Hackenberg, our second pick, he'll be pitching a little later tonight and uh, just watching. I'll, I'll be watching that, I'm sure, on MILB TV. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, really excited about the draft class, some arms up top, a couple bats later on that we're really excited about. Hey, Ron, um, so back in the day, it seemed like that it was a little bit taboo to to rush guys to the big leagues. I think there was always that fear of they're not ready. That seems to have gone away here in the recent years. And I know Alex is a big character guy, clubhouse guy, you know, and we've seen all kinds of stuff. Uh, from the kids that have come up and, and have done well. Does that kind of stigma kind of gone away now? Because is the is the minor leagues viewed a little bit differently as kids have progressed through and, and get to the big leagues a little quicker? Yeah, I think every team probably operates differently there. But I think one thing I've definitely noticed just in looking at amateur baseball at large, like the kids and the players that are coming in, even as high school underclassmen, um, at 15, 16, 17 years old when we're scouting players for the next year's draft class, they're so advanced, I think, now mm. with all the technology and the resources. And I'm sure part of it also is like the spe- specialization um, of the game and the athletes a little bit these days. But, yeah, I think by and large, like these kids, whether they're high school guys or college players, they're just coming in to professional baseball at such an advanced skill level or knowledge maybe for, for what they're doing or trying to accomplish just based on all the facilities that are out there, um, all the programs that they might already be doing. And it may be that learning curve is a little smaller. It's definitely very challenging to play professional baseball as we all know, Greg, but I think it really does speak to kind of where we are at, um, you know, as a society, just in terms of baseball and all the resources that we have at our fingertips these days. Mm. Yeah, I guess you could call that the perfect game effect. But um, I also know that there was a term back in the day that would be saying, wait till there's a third deck on the field, you know. And and so right. there used to be some what some some sort of uh, learning curve, as you, you would say, for the kids who would come up because they didn't play in any big league stadiums. Now, heck, they're doing showcases all at big league ballparks all around the country. So I, I, I can see that. I mean, you know. I don't know exactly, um, you know, how that works out in a kid's mind, but familiarity, you know, used to see kids like the Griffey juniors or kids who grew up around baseball, the Barry Bonds who were talented, but they also had certain expectations at a very young age and they were accustomed to being around the game and you saw them progress, you know, pretty quickly. And I'm sure there, uh, that has a lot to do with it, but it is fascinating to see how kids get to the big leagues so quick these days. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I think it's just a, just again, just speaks to where we're at in, in terms of the society and, and being progressive with just pushing ourselves and, you know, just looking at all the 
access that we now have that we maybe didn't even have um, five, six years ago, never mind 15, 20 years ago. Last question for me, Ronit, because I was I was thinking about this this morning. So when I was a, a kid, grew up in the world of NASCAR, and every year we would go to Bristol, Tennessee for a race twice. And my dad's team, somebody on my dad's team had befriended a baseball scout, an amateur scout for the, the athletics. And this is going back a long ways, 30 years ago. Uh, but this guy would show up to the racetrack every every time we were in Bristol. He was a big race fan. And I was just a little kid, but I loved baseball, loved the Braves. And I was just always wanting to pick this guy's brain just to ask him stuff. I mean, I remember asking him about, oh, God, what was the trade they, that the athletics had made? I think it was like Ruben Sierra for Jose Canseco or something like Whatever it was, I was just fascinated that there was this guy who lived in Tennessee, but somehow he worked for the Oakland Athletics. My like eight, nine year old brain, it was like it kind of blew my mind a little bit. I, um, <laughs> but how many like on average, like with us or most teams, like how many amateur scouts do you guys have throughout the country? I mean, I know I don't need an exact number, but just ballpark. I mean, what what? how many scouts are there actually out there? Yeah, on the amateur side, we have about 30 scouts. And that, you know, that ranges from myself to our cross checkers that cover maybe a whole region or the whole country for us from wherever they're based out of. And then we have our area scouts, which are, you know, guys that covered their territory, as you mentioned with your, um, the A scout that you met. So we'd have about anywhere from 16 to 18 area guys uh, spread throughout the country. And then from there, we even have a couple of video coordinators that will again travel a ton <laughs> no less than any anyone else uh helping us get video and data on some of these uh, amateur players amazing it definitely takes a takes a village for sure sure yeah well my last question um ron is that as we see the advancement in analytics and all the technology that's happened in the game of baseball you guys it, uh, when you're scouting, you have the ability to be able to see video and see the statistics and all the different you know, spin rates and launch angles and all that kind of stuff. Is every minor league ballpark set up the way kind of a big league ballpark is with TrackMan and some of these other ways so that you don't literally always have to have somebody there, but but you can also you share data with other big league clubs? How does that work? Yeah, on the amateur side, uh, they definitely have – maybe track man you know the track man units across the country especially at the bigger programs just about every big program not 100 percent, but you know maybe 90 percent of the big programs if i had a ballpark number off the top of my head have a track man unit there and we get a lot of video also from all the games they play and sometimes we can get multiple angles for all the big time summer events that we were talking about a little earlier same thing we get track man data we'll get video we'll get open side pitcher angles, open side hitter angles, you know, the whole nine. Um, but then on the minor league side, I think every ballpark either has like a track man or Hawkeye unit. I'm not as um, well-versed in that in terms of like, you know, how the data gets exchanged and, and all that between the 30 teams. But on the amateur side, I know, again, like a lot of the big college programs, but then for the high school programs, we don't get anything. And mm. I would say like our scouts definitely, you know, it's an evolving game and, I think all of us watch more video than we used to, but at the end of the day, we still need to get in the ballpark and kind of like you mentioned earlier, Greg, like watch players succeed, watch players fail. And some of those things you can only see if you're there in person. Mm. 
That's a great point. Well, we appreciate all that you do. Um, I know you're a big part of this machine, just like Ricky and I play our, our little part. And um, we all take pride in, in being uh, one of the best organizations. I, I mean, I've been around this organization since 1991, and I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. And so I've got a lot of pride in just being a part of it and, and enjoying watching these guys play. So thank you for the part that you're playing. I know that this team wouldn't be um, what it is without your department and all the work that you guys put in. So thank you for, for all that you do. Thanks. No, I really appreciate that, Greg. And I know our guys, like you said, they, they give everything they got to the game of baseball and the profession on a daily basis. And it's awesome seeing, you know, their hard work pay off. We'll keep it up. <laughs> you bet. Thanks. Ryan, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, Ron. Have a good one, buddy. See you guys. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.